Hello, it's Friday the 12th of November. I'm Gary Bowman. Welcome to the second edition of our new weekly news and current affairs show. So let's get ready for takeoff. This is the Southeast Asia Travel News Show. Hello wherever you are in the world and thanks for listening in. On a packed show today, I'll be talking to Vincent Vichit Vatican in Bangkok about the early stages of Thailand's test and go reopening and the lessons that have been learned from the Phuket sandbox. Vincent will also be talking about an exciting Southeast Asia travel webinar he'll be hosting next week with some stellar guests. Plus, we've got updates from the OAG Southeast Asia webinar that Hannah and I took part in this week, and some insights on travel video content in the new era from my podcast chat with Malaysia-based travel filmmaker Camilla Dillard. But let's begin with a look at this week's three top travel talking points. So firstly to Malaysia, where it's been an extraordinary and rather confusing week for travel developments. Things kicked off on Monday when Singapore added Malaysia to its roster of 16 vaccinated travel lanes. Finland and Sweden were added at the same time. Six flights per day are scheduled between Singapore, Changi and Kuala Lumpur International Airports. Those would be quarantine free uh, as part of the vaccinated travel lane and they will commence on the 29th of November. Discussions are said to be ongoing regarding a similar cross-border vaccine-free land agreement, which would facilitate two-way travel across the causeway that separates the two countries. So that was on Monday. On Wednesday, Indonesian President Joko Widodo welcomed Malaysia's Prime Minister Ismail Sabri Yaakob at the presidential palace in the Indonesian city of Bogor. Among several trade announcements was a a new bilateral vaccinated air travel corridor between the two nations. This is set to commence in early 2022 in stages and the routes are likely to be Kuala Lumpur and Jakarta and Kuala Lumpur and Bali. But no concrete details were actually fleshed out in the announcement, so we're still waiting to find out a little bit more. So that was on Wednesday. One day later on Thursday, somewhat out of the blue, former Malaysian Prime Minister Muhyiddin Yassin, who is the president of the nation's National Recovery Council, announced that Malaysia will reopen its borders no later than 1 January 2022. Again, no concrete details have yet been published. Is this good news? Well, yeah, it seems that way. Um, We would hope that there's going to be real movement here in Malaysia, but we do need more details. And of course, the travel industry needs a great deal of clarity. Currently vaccinated Malaysian residents are permitted to travel outbound, but they must undertake a seven-day home quarantine upon return to the country. Inbound travelers must do a seven-day hard quarantine. But a quarantine-free pilot travel bubble on the island of Langkawi begins next Monday, the 15th of November. What happens next? Well, I'll be analyzing these developments in more detail in my weekly newsletter, Asia Travel Reset, on Sunday. Okay, secondly to Indonesia, where tourism and creative industry minister Sandiaga Uno was interviewed at length this week by Singapore-based Channel News Asia about the nation's somewhat unclear reopening plans, as you may remember, Bali and the Riau Islands were reopened last month, but there haven't really been any flights yet. And there's still a bit of confusion about what the actual schedule is for for reopening. The minister reiterated the government's recent stance that it will reopen its borders in an incremental manner. He used the term baby steps and that it wants to focus on what he called better quality spending tourists. 
especially those that are likely to stay in the country for a longer term. Indonesia's target, he said, was for smaller, much, much smaller in-size tourism. And he set a target of around 2 million visitors in 2022. That would be significantly down from around 17 million visitors to Indonesia in 2019. Growth is, however, expected to follow in the, in the years afterwards. And Santiago Uno made an estimate of around 8 to 10 million visitors in 2024, when the Joko Widodo government's term ends and the nation will undertake a general election. Thirdly, to Myanmar, a country that we don't often cover on the show, largely due to the difficult circumstances in the country since the military coup back in February. However, this week, CNN Travel published an article entitled, Myanmar is planning to reopen to tourism in early 22, but who will go? Unsurprisingly, the article sparked a vociferous debate on social media about the ethics of visiting the country under the current military rule. The past decade has seen a strong growth for inbound visitation since elections were held in 2010 and a period of reforms in Myanmar was commenced. However, things have changed very much this year and the recent ASEAN leaders meeting excluded Myanmar's military leader from participating in what was a rare show of collective displeasure at the violence and detentions in Myanmar over the past few months. It of course remains a sensitive issue as this week's polarized opinions on social media have shown. And the CNN article summarized the situation as follows. As in the past, when Myanmar has been in the control of a military junta, there have been calls both from within and without the country to boycott anything that would profit the military, including the many tourism facilities and destinations that its generals control. We feel that this is an important subject to discuss in greater detail, so please stay tuned for more details in the coming weeks. We're almost halfway through the first month since Thailand's test-and-go tourism reopening began on the 1st of November. Last week, the Foreign Correspondents Club of Thailand, or the FCCT, hosted a webinar debate about the prospects for the reopening and the lessons that are being learned in Thailand from its previous Phuket Sandbox strategy. Next week, the FCCT will also host a broader-based webinar on the prospects for reopening across Southeast Asia with some very high-profile participants. So I called up Bangkok-based journalist and travel writer Vincent Vichit Vadikan, who moderates the FCCT's travel and tourism webinars. I began by asking Vincent about the recent Thailand reopening event that it hosted, entitled Opening the Door, Thai Tourism Prepares to Welcome Back Foreign Tourists. So who were the guests and what were some of the key talking points? We had, we had a nice selection of guests, a nice variety. We had the director of TAT from the Pachua Kirikan office, which is where Wohin, the resort town of Wohin is located. We had the uh, person who's responsible for Wohin Recharge, which is the local program to uh, relaunch tourism in the city. The, we had the CEO of Agoda, John Brown, the uh, operations vice, uh, senior vice president from Accor in the region, and we had an analyst from Kung Si Bank, who started off the panel, and he started off in, a, in a, I think for some people it was in a surprising way because he was he was very very optimistic about uh, the recovery of tourism and he was projecting you know, very high figures for 2022 already even the more conservative estimates tend to say you know, 2024 2025 
and and he gave all, all sorts of good reasons why he thought that was going to be the case. Otherwise, the, the conversation centered on what people had learned from the sandbox, from Phuket sandbox, and the experience of letting uh, vaccinated tourists into Phuket in a controlled manner, um, best practices, and the fact that that sort of program is depend- dependent on vaccination levels and uh, cooperation between private and public sector, learning from the feedback from that, you know, and you know, couldn't Grod, who was the Rohin Recharge director, you know, made a very good point that the as Thailand, as the rest of Thailand reopens, that sort of you know, passenger feedback and feedback from locals is very important. So those were, those were some of the points that we covered. And one of the interesting discussion points centered on how reliant Thailand was before the pandemic on mass tourism. You know, we hear a lot about quality tourism and high yield tourism going forward. What were the panel's views about what might happen next? With one exception, I don't think it was an issue uh, for most panelists. Uh, some you know, people did say that you know, things will be different as tourism returns, but most people were looking to get back. You know, how, how soon, how fast would we get back to levels that were comparable to 2019? And I think a, a lot of people made that comparison, even if there was a, a little bit of, of caution uh, in their optimism. The one exception to that, again, was the, uh, the director of Wuhan Recharge, uh, who, who specifically talked about more high-yield, high-revenue travelers with lower-impact uh, itineraries and uh, travel plans. And so he, he, he underlined the importance of that. He was obviously talking about that in terms of his destination of Wuhan, and he pointed out that his city has a private airport uh, so it would be also suited to chartered private jets and uh, and guests traveling in that manner with with you know, much higher spending power. And he was making projections of saying that the average now is about fifty thousand uh, baht, which is a little bit more than fifteen hundred dollars for a trip, and that that average could rise to eighty thousand per traveler per head. He he was looking at how to mitigate and how to maybe look at alternatives to mass tourism. Everybody else was more focused on regaining market share and regaining revenue and statistics like before COVID. Yeah, early days. We'll see how that one pans out over the coming months. Um, Vincent, you are in Bangkok. Thailand began its test and go reopening just over a week ago uh, on the 1st of November. What's the current feeling like in Bangkok? Are any changes noticeable? Does the city feel any different? The city feels like it's gone back to normal. The, the energy, the traffic, the unfortunately the pollution, um, all of those levels have gone back up. Uh, the things, things were really very quiet up until about uh, the beginning of September. And even after there was some easing of, uh, of the lockdown and restrictions, uh, things remained quite quiet. Since the 1st of November, uh, there's a definite energy. There's a definite energy in the city that uh, you, you see. You see people out. You see people in restaurants, in the malls, uh, in their cars, on the street. And in terms of the industry, you definitely sense that there's there's optimism. I think up until the end of October, there was a lot of wait and see. What's going to happen? What are the terms of the reopening going to be? Uh, and now people are cautiously optimistic. I, mean, I wouldn't say full throttle. Uh, but they are definitely planning, uh, you know, they're reopening their hotels. They are 
dusting off their menu, restaurants are dusting off their menus and uh, their plans for for meetings, for events, for all, uh, cultural events, they've all come back. So all the, the art galleries and the theater performances and uh, the Bangkok International Dance and Music Festival, which was canceled last year, is, is back on uh, with international companies coming to Bangkok from the middle of this month. And, and there's huge interest. These, these, these shows are selling out. So there's, uh, there's interest from the public and there's a demand from the public to go out and do things again. And um, businesses are gearing up to, to welcome them. Oh, it's great to hear that Bangkok is back. So, Vincent, the Foreign Correspondents Club of Thailand is hosting another pretty exciting event next week, looking at the reopening of tourism across Southeast Asia. Uh, you've got some pretty impressive guests. Tell us a bit more about uh, what's in store. So, we have, um, uh, luckily, we have a, a nice panel of people from across the region. So, we're trying to uh, talk about themes like you know, cooperation in the region is the fact that Thailand is opening up, is there going to be some sort of domino effect in other countries, especially countries for which Thailand is a hub like Laos and uh, Cambodia? Uh, we're going to talk about things like, um, you know, and is, and is that going to create competition as well? We, we, we In the first panel, we talked about re- the reopening of Phuket and, and the Sandbox and now all of Thailand or mo- you know, most of Thailand. What did that mean for destinations like Langkawi or Kuching in Malaysia or Phukok in Vietnam and uh, obviously Bali uh, would be the, the direct competitor with uh, Phuket. You know, what does it mean? What does it mean for airlines um, in terms of uh, airlift? You know, there are destinations for which there are still no direct flights. India, which is a huge market for Thailand and, and definitely part of the planned reopening, there are no direct flights yet. So you, what, you know, the first direct flights might be uh, an Indigo flight in December, scheduled flights. So, you know, what what does airline capacity mean to, or, or lack of it, mean to to travel in the region? And you know, what, what are the opportunities? So, so um, as things pick up again, your hotel, you know, new hotels that have been put on hold are finally going to be opening. Um, so, to talk about all of that, the guest, my guests are uh, the director uh, Kuntan, who's um, uh, Narakon uh, Asuni from the Mekong Tourism Coordinating Office, which is the multi, the six country, the six, the six countries that touch the Mekong have a shared platform uh, for promoting tourism in the region. So that's um, Laos, Cambodia, Vietnam, Myanmar, which of course is not an issue right now uh, in terms of tourism, Thailand, and the southern uh, provinces of China. So uh, he's going to talk about regional, you know, regional perspectives and um, and cooperation in the region. We have uh, the Secretary of Tourism of the Philippines, and that'll be an interesting case because she's going to talk about how the Philippines pre-COVID was really really doing really well. Uh, tourism, international tourism was growing. The uh, "It's More Fun in the Philippines" campaign was was really taking hold, and then that was all. You know, that all ground to a halt uh, with COVID. So it'll be interesting to see what she's doing and what her department is doing for uh, for tourism, international and domestic tourism. And similarly, we'll have uh, Joe Chu, who is the area director for Singapore Tourism Board. And, um, and he'll be talking about Singapore's role, uh, obviously as a destination, but also as a hub for the region. We'll have, interestingly, so talking about international travelers returning to Thailand, 
we'll have the former CEO and now executive chairman of uh, the Standard International, Amar Lavani, who's uh, based in New York. But he is actually flying in for the opening of a, of the first Standard Hotel in Asia, if you don't count the Maldives. The, the Standard uh, boutique brand, famous in LA and New York and Miami and lots of other places, uh, is opening its first hotels, uh, two in Thailand and one in Singapore in the next year. He's going to talk about those opportunities. And the final panelist uh, will be Tony Fernandez, the CEO of Air Asia Group, and um, he'll also be talking about you know talking about the airlines in the airline in particular and what Air Asia's role as one of the major regional airlines, you know what what they foresee in terms of capacity and demand, but also the things that um, Air Asia is doing with the other things that they're. They're launching their super app, so that's 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 an interesting switch for AirAsia. So so it's it's a really varied panel, and um, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, that is a stellar lineup, Vincent. I'm looking forward to that as well. So where and when does it take place, and how can our listeners join in? So that will be on November 16th at 7 p.m. Bangkok time. That's 8 p.m. in Manila, Singapore, and KL. You can follow live on the FCCT Facebook page. So that's uh, Foreign Correspondents Club of Thailand. Find the uh, club's page and you will find the li- the event and the live link on the event page. And that will then be made available on YouTube on the FCCT events channel. And of course, for anybody who is actually in Bangkok, you are more than welcome to join us in the club. Uh, which is located in the Mania building in Chitlum, in the middle of Bangkok. Many thanks to Vincent for his time and his always highly articulate insights. We'll post the details of next week's FCCT webinar on the Southeast Asia travel recovery on our show notes on our website, www seasiatravelshow.com and we'll also put up a link to the interview that we did with Vincent back in September as part of our The Year So Far in 2021 series which is well worth a refresher listen. Talking of webinars, this week Hannah and I were the guests on OAG's monthly aviation and travel webinar. The November edition was dedicated to the gradually developing air travel recovery here in Southeast Asia. By analyzing a range of up-to-date and historical air travel and tourism data sets, myself, Hannah, and OAG's regular presenters, Becca Rowland and John Grant, attempted to plot the pathway forward for individual ASEAN markets, the Southeast Asia region as a whole, and Asia Pacific. OAG have been kind enough to let us use a couple of clips from the show. So first up, here's Hannah, and Becca asked Hannah, what she thought about the landscape for reopening so far in Southeast Asia and which of the reopenings looked likely to drive tourism and to encourage other nations in the region to follow suit? Um, I mean, for Southeast Asia, I think it's definitely Thailand. And and like Gary was saying earlier, I think this big announcement that Thailand was going to reopen to 63 countries um, with Without quarantine, but I mean, some people argue it is because you need to spend one night um, waiting for the test results. Um, this was really the big one. This was really what kick-started other people's announcements. Um, so after that, then Cambodia announced this, the Hanukkah sandbox. Um, Laos has been talking about reopening. Malaysia uh, talking about this Langkawi travel bubble. 
they really um, put the cat among the pigeons and with this announcement because this is the most open that any country in Southeast Asia has been. And as Gary pointed out, it's also got not a particularly high level of um, vaccination. So I think the whole region is really waiting to see what happens. And so far, um, they've had a really low infection rate. I think it's less than 0.1% of travelers who have arrived on this test and go scheme, they're calling it, who have actually tested positive for COVID. But this is really the test case. You know, if it fails and we see uh, spikes in cases um, being caused from this, that's really going to make the rest of the region very reticent about opening up again. The discussion then moved on to Singapore's vaccinated travel lanes, and Becca asked me what I thought about potential distortions in the market and fair pricing that are being caused by different types of flights on different routes between different destinations. I think that's the big issue, and that you know, uh, yesterday or the day before, Singapore announced it would open a, a vaccinated travel lane with Malaysia, and you know, there's huge demand. There's a lot of Malaysians live in Singapore, a lot of Singaporeans live in Malaysia. There's a lot of family travel, there's a lot of business travel between the two countries. But they haven't yet announced how many flights there will be per day. And as you said um, there, Becca, it's not all flights between the two cities that are dedicated uh, VTL flights. So, you know, that obviously pushes up prices, pushes, uh, pushes up mm -hmm. demand for certain flights. Um, and as you said, you know, it distorts the market. And these caps on arrivals, Australia went through this throughout the pandemic. It had the, a capped number of people that could return from overseas. And that resulted in some, you know, extortionate fares and people simply couldn't afford to travel. And we don't want to get down that route. I, I understand that Singapore is trying to reopen its borders carefully and, and as Anna said, in a calibrated way. Um, but, you know, you don't want to uh, cause a, a distortion in the market that actually makes demand go away. I mean, you know, at the moment, some people may just sit and wait and see, well, maybe I'll wait till next year to actually make my trip that I would actually like to make before Christmas. Many thanks to Becca Rowland and John Grant for inviting us onto this month's OAG webinar. It's well worth a watch. There's uh, some, some great data sets there um, from across Southeast Asia, which really do show the mountain to climb in terms of recovery. I'll put a link up onto the show notes on our website with this uh, particular episode. So to finish this week, let's turn to video content in travel. I was joined on the Southeast Asia Travel Show this week by award-winning Langkawi-based filmmaker Camilla Delart, who shared her perspectives on the direction of film content in travel and tourism and the challenges for travel brands using film and video content in this new era that we're entering. See you next week. Yeah, I feel the travel industry made a great progress over the last five, six years. When I was starting out, the most important part of which was to generally sell the idea that film and video deserve a place in the marketing mix. So that has changed a big time. Uh, you know, these days, every tourism board, resort or travel company realizes that to get across this multisensory appeal, which is inherent to travel, there is probably no better medium. Uh, but I don't feel all the tourism players are getting it right. You know, there is um, in the past even a shaky video with poor audio quality would get a great exposure simply because there were not many videos around. Now video is pretty much dominating all the social media. So to get the desired attention, the content needs to stand out, whether through quality or, you know, some unique signature style. And uh, I also feel uh, it's important for the tourism players to get more strategic. 
You know, if you want to attract high yield, mature travelers, a high energy video with rock music in the background presented by a young wannabe influencer is not really going to get you far. And I see that all the time happening, you know, like there is a luxury brand and then you see type of videos you are wondering. It's like a backpacker presenting a luxury brand, which is, you know, it just doesn't fit. So my advice would be to really look at the target market, you know, give a proper thought to what kind of productions will appeal to the different segments. You, you also, you know, not one production will not appeal to all of the, all of the travelers you want to attract unless you have a really, you know, homogeneous market. Yeah, and people should take the time, you know, to like explore different styles and uh, connect with artists that are able to truly capture the essence and whose style is something that will resonate with the audience you target. You know, if someone asked me to do some bungee jumping, skydiving, you know, <laughs> some crazy adrenaline junkies video, I would pass it to a colleague. Like, I, I wouldn't be the right person for it. So I think people should, should be much more strategic about what kind of production they are doing, you know, wh- who are they targeting, what do they hope to achieve by that.